Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. These three phrases characterize the life in the legacy of William Borden, who was born in 1887 in Chicago to the wealthy and well-known Borden family of the Borden Dairy Corporation. When William was a young man, his mother became a Christian and she started taking him to church and he too became a Christian shortly thereafter. When he graduated high school at the young age of 16, his parents gave him an incredible graduation gift, a trip around the world under the care of Walter Erdman, a minister and missionary. They visited numerous countries, and as Borden was exposed to global poverty and suffering, he felt compelled, he felt led, he felt called by the age of 17 to become a minister of the gospel and a global missionary. After returning to the United States, Borden entered Yale University where he excelled in academics and he excelled in athletics and he excelled as a student leader as well. And though his time at Yale offered many lucrative career opportunities, he remained committed to ministry. After graduating from Yale, Borden enrolled at Princeton Theological Seminary, attending the ministry training school from 1909 to 1912. And then upon graduation, he joined the China Inland Mission Organization as an intern. It was there with the China Inland Mission that Borden became aware of an Arabic-speaking people group in China, 10 million strong, that had never once even heard the name of Jesus. No Christian had ever attempted to share the gospel there. And so Borden committed his life to bringing the gospel to this particular people group, and he left the United States for Egypt in December of 1912 to study the Arabic language. After three months in Cairo, he contracted spinal meningitis and died 19 days later. Two things happened upon his death. One, he left his entire inheritance, millions of dollars to support missionaries around the world and to support teachers who are committed to telling students about Jesus around the world and particularly in Asia. And the second thing he left behind was his Bible. Upon his death, his Bible was shipped to his parents and when they received it, they opened his Bible and they saw the handwritten phrase, No reserves, dated the day he committed to be a missionary rather than a millionaire. Below the words, no reserves, a later phrase was written. Upon graduation from Yale, when he was presented with many opportunities and several promising careers, he penned in his Bible, no retreats. And finally, during his battle with spinal meningitis, as he lay on his deathbed, he penned his last words. No regrets. No reserves. No retreats. No regrets. 
This is the life and legacy of William Borden. And it is a powerful illustration for us today of what an all-in commitment to Christ and to his church looked like for young William Borden. So I just want to ask this morning, as we get started with our discussion for today, what does an all-in commitment to Christ and his church look like for you in your life, in your context, in your day and everyday experiences? Well, today we're concluding our three-week sermon series called Cannonball, going all in with Christ and his church. And we've used the illustration of a junior high boy full of energy, jumping into the pool, making as big a splash as possible. And our big idea for this whole series, it comes from something I heard Rick Warren say at a conference years ago that I attended. It's a, it's a statement that has shaped me, and it's shaped the churches that I've led and served. And it's a statement you're likely going to hear from me for many years to come, and here it is. Here's the big idea for this series. A great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment makes a great church. A great commitment to the great commission and the great commandment makes a great church. Now, two weeks ago, we kicked off this series being challenged to cannonball the great commission, to go all in and to make waves by making disciples wherever we go. And then last week, we were challenged to cannonball the great commandment to go all in and make waves by loving God and loving people lavishly. And today, we wrap up with the challenge to go all in and make waves with our commitment to Christ and his church that will create a ripple effect starting right here, right now. It will be transformative for our community and go around the world. We are a church. We will continue to be a church that will challenge you to fully commit your life and your legacy, your time, talent, and treasure to fully following Jesus Christ without reserve, without retreat, and without regret. Now, that being said, I wanna take you to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out, open those up. Maybe you have a Bible app on your smartphone. Go ahead and, and start making your way to Matthew chapter 16. And as you're turning there in your Bibles, I, I just wanna walk you once again through the up and down nature of Jesus' ministry and of his followers' commitment. Well, for one, there was an up and down pattern to the crowds following Jesus. And we've mentioned this each of the past two weeks. We've mentioned how Jesus' popularity among the masses would, would ebb and flow and ebb and flow. And, and we've learned how he was extremely popular early on, but then he'd say something the crowds didn't like and, and they would abandon him or someone would, would declare a forever commitment to Jesus and then it almost seems like he would just intentionally push them away. For instance, Matthew chapter eight, verses 18 through 22 says this. When Jesus saw the crowd, he gave orders to cross over to the other side of the lake. Like he wanted away from the crowd. And then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but I, the son of man, have no place to lay my head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. 
And if you read such verses and you wonder what in the world is going on here, the simple answer is that Jesus was asking these two particular followers for a far greater commitment than they were willing to give him. Later on in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is approached by a wealthy young man who, who wants to know how to have eternal life. And Jesus it just casually quips an answer. And, it, and it's, just, it's just real to the point. Jesus says, well, keep the commandments. And the wealthy young man says he kept them perfectly. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 19, 21. If you really want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven then come and follow me. And the very next verse says the man went away sad because he had great wealth. And this almost heavy-handed call to commitment is something we often see from Jesus. There's John chapter six. In John chapter six, Jesus had just performed some of his most amazing miracles and he's surrounded by perhaps his biggest crowd to date, thousands and thousands of followers. And Jesus says this to them. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And although Jesus clearly meant this as a metaphor for commitment, for taking in and taking on the ways of Jesus fully, the crowds were so offended that in John 6, 66, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And so there's this, this ebb and flow of the crowds coming to Jesus and then walking away from Jesus and, and liking Jesus, but not really wanting to commit to Jesus. Like they want Jesus to do stuff for them, but they don't want to fully commit to him. There's a, another place we see this happening with Jesus and his followers. It's in the book of Revelation, chapter three, verses 15 and 16. Jesus says, I know your deeds, but you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The thing is, Jesus doesn't say this to pagans or to heathens or to non-believers. Jesus says this to Christians. And it's to Christians in the Laodicean church, which were wealthy Christians living comfortably. And so Jesus called them out of their comfort zone and into deeper commitment. And honestly, we study history. We don't really know how they responded. Like historically, we don't know. We don't know if they fully committed to Jesus or, or just remained lukewarm and rode the fence or just plain walked away. We don't know. I don't know. What I do know is I can relate. Because if I'm just being as honest as I can be, I gotta tell you, there are times when my faith is hot and there are times when my faith is cold. But then there are more times that I care to confess that my faith is just lukewarm. And there are times when my commitment to Christ is hot and then there are times my commitment to myself is hot and my commitment to Christ is cold. But there are so many times when my commitment to Christ is just lukewarm. And there are times that I'm pursuing Christ like he is the most important thing in the world. And, and then there are times when I'm being short-sighted. Sometimes I'm being selfish and my pursuit of Christ runs cold. But again, way too often, it's just lukewarm. 
And the truth is, too much of the time, I'm just dipping my toe into the water of being a fully devoted follower of Jesus when I should be cannonballing it. When I should be all in and making waves. What about you? What does an all-in commitment to Christ and his church look like for you? Anybody relate with me? Well, if you're anything like me, you're in good company. Not that I'm good company, but because not only did all the unnamed disciples we just read about ebb and flow in their commitment to Jesus, but so did Peter, the leader of the disciples. We're in Matthew chapter 16, right? Uh, context, Jesus and his disciples need some time away. They need time away from the fickle crowds. They need time away from the divisive religious leaders. They need time away from the dangerous politicians. And so they, they head north to a community called Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea, it's named after the Roman Caesar. It's a fully pagan city, Greco-Roman city in northern Israel. And, and I have actually been there, and it's an incredible place. And if you're going to Israel with us in the spring, we will most likely visit there. And when Jesus and his disciples were there, there was a temple to the Greek god Pan built at the opening of a cave that was known as the Gates of Hades. And the pagans literally believed all throughout the Roman Empire, they believed this cave in northern Israel was the global entrance to the underworld, to the spiritual world, to Hades. And so they would take their baby boys and they would sacrifice them there by throwing them into the cave. And if their blood didn't flow out in the cave stream, their sons were accepted into the other underworld. But if their blood did flow out, they were lost. There were the lost boys. And so Jesus and his disciples, they're very likely watching this take place. And they're very likely discouraged by what they're witnessing, that such an injustice, such an atrocity could happen right in Israel, right before their very eyes. And it was in this context, Jesus asked his disciples, he says, who do the people say that I am? And they start brainstorming all the things the crowds are saying about Jesus. And then Jesus asks these same discouraged disciples. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, white hot with religious zeal, pipes up first. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus gets so excited because Peter gets it so right. And, and Jesus says, yes, Peter, yes, you got it because God is speaking to you and you are listening. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And the other disciples, you know, they're, they're congratulating Peter. They're patting him on the back. They're like, Peter nailed it. He, he figured it out. Like he's the very first person to really recognize the authority and the lordship of Jesus. It was at this moment, spiritually speaking, Peter was on fire. And this is likely when Jesus nicknamed him Peter. He was actually Simon before that. And Peter means rock. And so it's like Jesus is so impressed with Simon that he nicknamed him Rocky. <laughs> That's the coolest nickname ever for a disciple. 
And then Jesus starts telling Peter and the disciples God's true plans that, that Jesus will go to Jerusalem and he'll be rejected and arrested and executed. And Simon Peter, AKA Rocky, grabs Jesus, pulls him aside and rebukes him. Peter looks at Jesus and he's like, nah, Jesus, that ain't happening. I don't know where you're getting that, but that ain't going down because they ain't killing you. And if they kill you, they'll probably kill us too. And we didn't sign up for that, uh-uh. And here's how Jesus responds to Peter's rebuke. Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me you do not have in mind the things of God, but merely human concerns. And I hate this verse, but I love it all at the same time. I love that Peter is so much like me. One minute he's Rocky and the next minute he's Satan. Talk about an ebb and flow. Incidentally, this isn't the only time we see such pendulum swings in Peter. But here's why Jesus shifted so fast from praising Peter to rebuking Peter because Jesus says this and he says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. In other words, you're caught up in the wrong stuff. You're pursuing the wrong stuff. You're holding on to the wrong agenda. You're listening to the wrong Narrative. P Peter just went from listening to God to listening to the wrong narrative. You're focused on the wrong things, Peter. You're, you're focused on human stuff, not God stuff. Your commitment is in the wrong place. And I read those verses and I just have to acknowledge that hits different because that's when my commitment to Jesus ebbs too when I'm pursuing the wrong stuff, when I'm listening to the wrong narratives, when I'm focused on the wrong things, when I'm more concerned with my stuff than God's stuff, when I'm concerned with my passions and my pursuits and my desires and my ambitions more than God's. And so after rebuking Peter, Jesus said this to his disciples, Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul. Jesus says to his disciples, and I certainly believe it still has application for us today. He says, you gotta be so committed to me. You gotta be willing to die for me, carry your cross for me, and not just theoretically, but actually. I mean, that's the kind of commitment you make to your husband or your wife, right? 
That's the kind of commitment you make to your kids and your grandkids. If you, if you serve in the military, that's the kind of commitment you make to your country. I'm so committed to you, I'm willing to go to the grave for you. That's a big commitment. It's the, the biggest commitment of them all. And I just think at least Jesus wasn't asking us to make a commitment he wasn't willing to make himself. He literally went to the grave for us. He was willing to make waves for us. And so again, I wonder, what does an all-in commitment look like for you? Well, let me tell you what an all-in commitment might look like for some of you. For one man in our church, it looks like one weekend every month helping lead worship from our stage. And another weekend every month volunteering to serve the babies in our nursery with his wife. And every Wednesday night, he's volunteering to lead a junior high boys small group. Talk about taking one for the team on that last one. He gives so much of his time and his talent to the work God is doing here at FCC and in our community. For another man, for, for a family, in fact, they always lead with a yes when God opens a door for them to start something or to fund something. And they always have an open heart and an open mind, just an incredible vision to see the things that God is doing through our church and a willingness to cannonball into it. You know, there are, there are ladies in our church, we have some incredible ladies here at FCC who have been working in our children's ministry for years upon years, even decades, loving our kids and teaching them about Jesus and helping them understand the Bible week in and week out because these ladies are all in and making waves for Jesus. They're living out the great commission and the great commandment and they're making a generational impact. We have another family in our church. This is a family who lost almost everything when their home was flooded during the hurricane. And it's been hard, but they didn't miss a beat here at FCC. They continued to serve in our children's ministry and on our safety team and on, as part of our church leadership team. And they are making waves despite their own personal flood. All in and making waves looks like extraordinary charity given to our hurricane relief fund to help people in big, tangible ways, helping replace cars, paying deductibles, buying groceries, giving away gas, all in the name of Jesus. All in and making waves looks like 500 Visa gift cards purchased to provide Thanksgiving dinner for 500 families in need in our community, all raised in two Sundays' time. Church, you cannonballed the turkey dinners. All in and making waves look like, looks like a lady who rides her bike to church, doesn't own a car, but she shows up every Sunday morning to, to unlock the doors and to help out. And she stays every Sunday afternoon until everyone is gone to lock the doors and tidy up our building and tie up loose ends. And she never misses a Sunday. All in and making waves looks like dozens of volunteers jumping in to help people whose homes were wrecked by Ian, removing waste, throwing away moldy furniture, tearing out sheetrock, clearing yard debris, just showing up for their friends and their neighbors and their coworkers and for people in our church. What does all in and making waves look like to you? All in and making waves is pastors Gary and Jimmy, in addition to their current responsibilities, jumping at the opportunity to lead our hurricane relief initiatives so I could focus on leading our church this extraordinary season. And I just have to say, I am so thankful for how our staff has responded these past months. 
In fact, I asked some of our staff to describe what all in and making waves looks like in their particular ministries. And our student pastor, Justin Fincannon, he said this. He said, it looks like a family deciding to take their Wednesday night free time without their kids and instead serve together in the student ministry where their kids are. He said, it looks like adults tolerating junior high smells and senior high attitudes in order to lead students toward Jesus in the most impressionable years of their life. He said, it looks like adults playing basketball, throwing dodgeballs, being pied in the face, celebrating birthdays, sweating a lot, crying often, laughing weekly with the next generation of Jesus followers. And so I ask again this morning, what does all in and making waves look like to you? Last week, our takeaway was to cannonball the sea. And the C in our ABCs of discipleship, that's our pathway to spiritual growth here at FCC. The C stands for contribute sacrificially. And last week, we asked you to cannonball the C. And that's still our challenge for the, today, and that's our challenge for the series. But today, we're fleshing out just a little more clearly what that looks like. So what does it look like for you? Well, here's what I think it looks like for us. Three things, if you're taking notes. Number one, love more and lean in more. This is not the time to retreat. Love more, lean in more, no retreats. Number two, Give more and serve more. The need is greater than it's ever been. Don't leave anything on the table. No reserves. And number three, watch God do more than we could ever imagine. And when you go all in with God, you will have no regrets. Love more and lean in more. Give more and serve more. Not because you have to, not because it saves you, but because it is a tangible, doable, transformative, yes, even enjoyable way to cannonball the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. A great church is one where we, where all of us, where every single one of us are all in and making waves. A great commitment to the Great Commission and the great commandment makes a great church. Let's pray. God, inspire us to go all in and to make waves by living out the great commission and the great commandment and that we would do it for your people and for your glory and for your honor to magnify your name, the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.